This episode of Unthinkable is made possible by Make What Matters, my membership program for independent creators. Creativity is a form of leadership, of raising your hand to say something is broken or unsatisfying and I'm here to create things to fix it or explore it more deeply. And when we see the work like that, we elevate it. Make What Matters is a membership program with a community at its core full of people who think like that. When you become a member, not only do you get to support this show financially, you also receive free access to my storytelling classes, plus exclusive rants and micro courses found nowhere else. Plus, you become part of that community of creators who give and get support and build projects alongside each other together in the member forum. Don't wait to make what matters most to you. Visit makewhatmattersgroup.com to learn more. And if you're interested, use the code UNTHINKABLE for a discount. What happens to us as creative people when we ship a lot of work, when we put in the reps? Well, ever ask somebody who's pretty advanced in their career how they did something really creative and they tend to give you a simple answer? You know, they kind of shrug and say, I don't know how I did it. I just did it. Or I don't know. I just did this. For example, I remember watching a speech at an award show by Anthony Bourdain, where he said, I ask simple questions and get the most amazing answers. Inspiring and probably true. The TV show Grey's Anatomy has run for 17 seasons on ABC. Creator and showrunner Shonda Rhimes, who's now revered as a showrunning legend, told the world in her masterclass what her approach is to keeping that show going and going strong. She says, Grey's is a different show every season. I end the show, and I begin a different show every season. Otherwise, it feels like it's going to become sort of stale. There's a famous quote from Hemingway, which sounds equally simple but inspiring, when he said, There's nothing to writing. All you do is sit down at a typewriter and bleed. Again, all of this does feel inspiring, but these people and others we admire built huge bodies of work by the time they say things like that. They've put in a ton of reps, and now, today, they realize that it's the simple stuff that matters most. I think that's revealing. So why do we clutter our own thinking and work with more complicated ideas and techniques than we actually need? Well, to quote another of history's great creators, Walt Whitman, he said, Do I contradict myself? Very well, then. I contradict myself. I am large. I contain multitudes. In other words, we're people. And this whole business of being people means things are messy. We're walking bags of bones and bravado, cartilage and contradictions. Few things ever feel simple. It feels like a lot to reach the heights of those creators we admire who sit there saying, it's actually really simple to make things that matter. I used to think, oh, that's because these people have some kind of special gift, but then you do this work for a little while and you realize, oh, right, the muse isn't real. Creativity is practice. It's a craft. Those amazing creative people that we admire are the byproducts of their countless reps. And somewhere along the way, as they put in those reps, they realize that the most important thing to focus on are those simple things that add up. And maybe you and I can take that same approach, each of us in our own work, and apply it not to the distant project or career we hope to build, but to the very next rep. So I'd ask you, in creative work, uh, what's a rep? messy it's complex or is it it's unthinkable stories of creative people who break from convention to make what matters most i'm jay akonzo
So I did an episode of the show recently called The Gap, which is about this divide between what we can imagine creating and what we can actually create. The idea was made famous by Ira Glass of This American Life when he said that the only way to close the gap is to do a lot of work. I agree. Build a body of work, or as Ira said, make a version, then make it better, then make it better again. It's only by going through a volume of work that your work will be as good as your ambitions. It's going to take a while, and you just have to fight your way through. Inspiring. Also, frustrating. That feeling can lead us to feel stagnant if our work continues to disappoint us for too long, or even cause us to stop. And so, on the show, we're exploring what it takes to close that gap. Build a body of work, yes, absolutely. But what is a body of work if not a ton of tiny little motions forward in the creative process. Anything big that we aspire to build, one project or our entire body of work, it's just made up of tiny little reps. Great. So now we know. If we can figure out how to reach the next rep consistently and better, the rest takes care of itself. We can close that gap. Good. Great. Grand. Wonderful. No yelling on the bus. Sorry, that's a different podcast I want to make about 90s movies. Don't you ever say that. Stay here. Stay as long as you can. Anyways, the next rep, that's our exploration. Okay, again, I'd ask you, what in our work constitutes a rep? I asked people on Twitter and everybody had a different answer. One person said, for me, it's a full cycle of publishing, including planning. That was Jay Klaus from Ohio. Jay is a content entrepreneur and community builder. Or this one, writing a review of a piece of media, no matter how long the article. That's from Adam Newton, a music and literary critic from Texas. How about this? Sending a tweet, email follow-ups, attending a webinar, or taking a course to learn are all reps. That's content marketing freelancer Adrian Barnes, also from Texas. Or outlining new articles said Nick Wignall, a psychologist from New Mexico. I thought it was a good idea to continue our journey together on the show by trying to define what a rep is in this episode. But everyone seems to have a different opinion of what a rep is for them. So does it matter? Do we need to put some kind of definition around it, some form to this part of the creative process in order to learn and grow as creators and advance in this journey that we're on here on the show? I mean, I have no answers at all. So because this is unthinkable, naturally, we're going to try to find some. I started by talking to Boston-based visual artist Matthew Zaremba. Matthew's specialties are these square designs, which are often found on Instagram, which contain a short, punchy saying with supportive illustration in and around them. It's hard to convey in audio, so let me just describe a couple of my favorites here. Picture a white square. At the top, in black, all caps text, it says, Normalize having no fucking clue what to do. Beneath the text, you see three rows of black squares, all very uniform, as if they're factory printed. And then in the second line of squares, to the right side, is one square that seems to have been replaced by some kind of weird, wavy, indescribable shape colored bright red. Normalize having no fucking clue what to do. There's also another one I love that says, you're perfect. 
and your your is spelled wrong it's y-o-u-r instead of apostrophe r-e right and it's a little slanted on the line it's like off and on face value it's, it's when people say like you're perfect as you are and and i'm not a I believe in a thing called like toxic positivity, meaning that like they're taking away the reality of this human ex- experience, right? And, and making people believe like, yes, things will just turn around and be better all of a sudden. But it takes work to do that. And sometimes it actually doesn't work out that way, right? And anybody suffered loss or anything tragic in their lives, addiction, et cetera, like it's not as cut and so as that. Um, so the piece with like, you're perfect was kind of a cynical way of looking at that phrase it was showing it as cynical because it was actually flawed. It was spelled wrong and it was not aligned correctly. And yeah, in its presentation, it just kind of makes you think deeper about what that is trying to say, right? And I try to do that a lot. I try to have like double meanings um, or just throw it off a little bit. There's another piece from Matthew that I really, really appreciate. It's actually the same line written over and over again, top to bottom, in his go-to, all caps, black text. It says, it's broken, it's broken, it's broken, it's broken. Then the last line, the beginning and end of the word broken are scribbled out in bright red. So it removes the B-R and the E-N and leaves behind the middle two letters, O and K. So the line becomes... It's okay. Taken together, the piece reads, it's broken, it's broken, it's broken, it's okay. And I like that visual. But more so, I like what it makes me think about and how it makes me feel. Like when things feel broken and you're harping on them, it's broken, it's broken, it's broken. We can make a change to fix it. And sometimes it just takes a small change to go from it's broken to it's okay. Matthew posts several of these pieces seemingly every day on social media, and the way they come together and the volume he creates suggests that Matthew does have some sense of what a rep is in his creative process. Always the thought comes first. So like I have a a running list, you know, it used to be in notebooks and now it's just on my phone. But, you know, since it started in, you know, it's probably been like six years or so where I'll just um, keep you know, random thoughts that come to head, to, um, to, to mind, um, you know, idioms that I've always liked, uh, snippets of conversations with, you know, friends or loved ones, or maybe just a, a str- like an encounter with a stranger, just like observations of society and like relationships. And and I kind of just like pull little fragments and I, and I write them down. Matthew's art is largely a side project. By day, he's a marketer at the streetwear company Bodega. That separation of art and profession is something he saw from a young age. His dad was a blues musician by night, but by day he'd throw on a tie and head to the office. You know, like on the way into work, he was blasting his music and, you know, he was just like a free spirit. And then he would do his job. And the second he walked out of work, I mean, he knew everybody from like the C-suite, you know, to like the front door guy. And like, you know, everybody really liked him because I think he was so like accessible and like free spirited. And like the second he got in his car, it was like he was lighting a joint and put his music back on. He'd come <laughs> home, he'd take off his, you know, his shirt and tie and he would, he, you know, he'd be like playing guitar. And that was just kind of like the life I saw. I was like, oh, okay. So you can, you go to work, you do what you need to do to like survive, right? Or to have money and have a decent life. And then you get out of work and you just, be whatever you want to be. So I kind of took that approach from a young age of like, 
I'm just going to find like a very stable job and then just do what I want outside of work. Just like most artists, Matthew's art mirrors his life. Sometimes it's a funhouse mirror, but it always starts rooted in reality before his perspective on the world and his relationship to it warp it in some way. Like many adults, Matthew lives with ADD, something that he lacked language for when he was a kid, feeling confused and frustrated and distracted. And and knowing that it's affected my whole entire life, all my relationships, the way I operate, probably a lot of this work, right, is all kind of being affected by ADD. And I ran from it. And, and, you know, the past couple of months, I've been really digging into, like, what does this all mean? How do I understand it? What can I do for help? Or how do I approach it? Do I just keep it holistic? Do I try medicine? But at the end of the day, it was like, it kind of came back to the very root of all of this, which is writing things down and just seeing them as tangible objects so I could understand. Growing up, I was always into writing poetry, prose, all this, right? But I never took it really seriously. And I, and I certainly didn't understand the technicalities of it. And I remember going to an open mic one time, like Poetry Slam, thinking like, oh, I know poetry. And like, I, I performed these poems in my house to my girlfriend at the time. You know what I mean? Like, I, I thought I understood things. And I remember going to this Poetry Slam and just feeling so defeated and inflated by seeing these people who were technically on top of it. Like, they understood the performative nature of it, right? And so it kind of... I don't know, in a way that kind of crushed me. Um, and, I, and I kind of gave up on writing in a way because I was like, well, I'm not going to make a book. I do these short like blurbs of thought. And if that's not some sort of like performative poetry, then what is it? And what I didn't realize is with these pieces. His daily illustrations. It's, it's the writing that leads it. Like yeah. rarely will you ever see me just put up an image and it's just an image as is, it's always words. Um, I think when I started this style, it was originally more doodle style and there was more visual heavy. Um, but at this point I've realized like the text is what anchors the reality of it. What, what have you learned about, about not stopping? Um, as you've done more and more of them, does it get harder or easier to keep doing more and more? It, it, it gets harder. One one difficulty is I, I, I do go through, you know, there's a lot of artists, there's a lot of people who will just kind of own something and, and, and there's kind of like an ego attached to it where it's like, yeah, this is my thing and I've got this, right? And I think that one aspect of what I try to say through my work in different ways is, you know, about being honest with things, right? You know, I even have pieces say like I have like one of them says like normalize not having a clue of what you're doing or something like that. Oh no, you know? no, give me the real one. Give me the real one. Oh, it's not, you, it's not exactly what it, what it says. It says something far better. Uh, what does it say? It's like normalizing, uh, normalize having no fucking clue what to do. Yeah, yeah, something like that, right? So, I, yeah, I got the sailor mouth, but um, <laughs> for sure. I love that. But, that's why I reach out to you, man, because it's like that's it. I mean, to me, that's what prevents a lot of people from creating their art. You know, whether it's in a, a corporate for-profit setting or, or it's it's on the side and no one's going to see it or some, you know, middle ground where there's an audience, but it's still for fun. Like, we, we want to have this all figured out and yeah. no one has it figured out. Right.
The music you're hearing is from Kevin Mazzarella. Kevin is a jazz trumpet player and also the band director at Rotten Middle School in Connecticut. He holds master's degrees from Columbia in both music education and educational technology. In 2016, Kevin's work as a music educator was recognized with a Grammy nomination. We'll come back to his music in a second, but first, I wanted to talk to him about another source of reps in his life and his work, his time spent as a CrossFit coach. So an assumption I have is uh, with CrossFit, there are all these things you have to understand as an athlete at first to then get better. So, you know, your form, the weight capacity you can put up, the strength. No, no, that, that, that's, on, that's on me as an athlete, as a coach. You don't want your athletes to understand that themselves? No, nope. I, I don't want them to crack any nuts until later on. I, I'm just focusing on here's what to do. Here's how to do it. I don't want you to overthink anything. I think that's really dangerous, particularly with beginners and anything. Um, you know, like I, I equate it to this. You know, if you're on vacation and you've never snorkeled before, but you want to go out with your wife or your partner, your kids, you want you want to learn how to do it safely and not kill yourself, but you don't want a whole, you know, <laughs> you don't want an hour-long course. Just give me the thing, know what I need to do, and go. And then eventually you kind of fine tune, you know, what you need to do. Oh, that didn't work. I'll try that better next tomorrow. Um, and then you start to really enjoy your tropical vacation. And I know I'm doing it at whatever level I am, and I'm good with that. And I think I think the responsibility of the educator and the coach is is to provide that environment where it's safe to do that. Like I'm just gonna navigate and, and puzzle it out, and don't worry about the next step too much. That's why we're. That's why you have a teacher. That's why you have. That's the benefit. And then eventually, when you gain proficiency to the point that you can move to the next step, we guide you through that. And then it, it is with experience, though, that you you want your students be, to learn how to become their own teachers, uh, and you want your athletes to be able to self monitor in in certain circumstances. Um, so I think there's there's always like that point where you need to you know, have humility and reach out for help. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I don't want someone to overthink anything. It's dangerous. But now hold on, I might say, narrating this show. Remember that journey we're on to understand the next rep, to ensure we reach it consistently and somehow improved in order to close the gap between what we imagine creating and actually create. Since that's what we're after, then surely, I might say, narrating this show... When we start out, we have to know all the techniques and trends and terminology involved with our craft. No? The mastery approach. Like, I'm against that. Um, I I don't feel like you need to master anything before you can achieve a higher level thing. Like, I'm thinking of that spiral, you know, the, the, in education, the spiral curriculum in the, they believe the Germans call it the Bildung. It's where any concept can be experienced at any level but to a different varying degree. So if you if you unpack improvisation, you say, well, of course they need to be, they need to know all these things, all these scales, all these rhythms, all these fancy things before they can do it. And we need to master all these things first and then, then we'll turn you loose. Well, it's, it's the same as, you know, a little kid, when they learn one note, shouldn't they be able to manipulate that one note with as many rhythms as possible? 
even if they don't know what that rhythm is called, it's just like babbling. You know, when you're learning to speak, you're not overcorrecting your child when they're just trying to formulate a thought. Whatever you have, you need to kind of just mess with and and get in the dough and knead it around and stretch it and pull it. But you can't. But you can't do that in CrossFit, right? Because you'll go, you'll injure yourself. <laughs> no, 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 no. You, you're. It's uh, CrossFit's kind of like a an adult playground where we instruct you on on form and we want you to be healthy and we want you to be safe but during the heat of you know there's a there's different phases right there's the warm-up phase of a of a crossfit session there's the teaching phase where we review the mechanics of each movement and then there's the workout and the job of a of a coach is to kind of monitor um sort of like a lifeguard uh, during the you know, because you're you're in this moment, you're in this zone as an athlete. It's three, two, one, go. We crank the music, the adrenaline's flowing, everything. You don't want to stop an athlete, slow their heart rate way down, and say, "Well, you know, the reason that you're not doing well is because you need to do this. Raise your hips." You know, they're it's just not what we're about. They're not going to come back. So you may just get, if you want to monitor safety, all right, flat, you yell a simple command, flat back, knees out, chest up, just to remind them to be safe, but they're just going to flow and crank and, and try to get to that point where you're hitting flow. At first, says Kevin, don't overthink it. You're just trying to figure out this thing you're doing for yourself. No one else can make sense of it for you. They aren't you. They lack your specific context. So go ahead, dive in, mess around, make sense of it. And then after a time, you start to bring more intentionality to it in moments when you recognize that you'd like to be proactive about your improvement. That's crucial for us to note as creators, I think. The difference between very important moments of unfocused exploratory play and being intentional about getting better. Kevin says, when you want to bring that level of intentionality to the work, before proceeding any further, do an assessment. You want to do an assessment, whether it's, you know, your nutrition. How's your nutrition? How's your sleeping? How's your hydration? Um, And then just kind of test some motor patterns. How's your squat? Uh, How's your range of motion? Do you have pre-existing injuries? That's That's going to inform me with programming. It's going to inform me with, you know, the limits, um, I want to know your volume. Like how often were you training beforehand? Because I don't want your goal to be five days a week to come to the gym. If you're just coming off the couch, you know, let's, let's try twice a week, three times a week and stick with that for a while, find success and rehearse that success. You know, I say that to everybody I I work with, find what works for you and rehearse that, like really exploit that thing that works for you. And then I like to journal. I like to have them journal. I like to have everybody reflect and and just bullet points. Here's what happened. And then let's talk. I get annoyed at how we want creativity to be this elusive, magical thing that like, no, just play and you don't need direction. And like there's, you need some of that. But I'm I'm of the mindset that you can treat it much more like physical fitness. Do you think that's too extreme? No. I, when I'm, when I, as a band director and as a coach, I feel like they inform one or the other, each one. And 
I've, I improve at both by doing both. Um, it is, you know, a strategy that will work at the gym, will work really well with, you know, my students and vice versa. Uh, give me uh, some examples. Um, so, like, you know, let's talk about uh, rhythm. To have good time feel, like that feel, that beat. A lot of people, you know, at first glance, are like, they just have it, man. Like, it's got good rhythm. Well, most musicians have trained. Most musicians, they, they work their ass off. And, and people need to work with a metronome. You know, people who have lazy rhythm don't use a metronome. You start your day with, you know, I do long tones with a metronome, uh, with a play along. I have my kids use play alongs and metronome. Like, it, it, it establishes that beat. You're playing in rhythm. My professor at, uh, in my private lessons at Columbia, he was like, nothing is played outside of the context of rhythm. It's essentially doing an experiment in a vacuum. Like, that's just not how it's done. Like, you, you have to take... If you can't play the lick in time, then you can't play the lick. Like, slow the time down to do the other things. Because you can't just work out a lick, a phrase, and then add time later. It doesn't work that way. So, okay, so now, so take, now take this into the world of CrossFit or, or physical fitness. So, a lot of people think everything's the same time, particularly in CrossFit. Everything is smash and go. Grip it and rip it. Yeah, a I've heard phrase. that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's not always true. It depends on the movement. So one thing that I'm always keyed on with my athletes is, look, we're doing a squat, back squat. There's there's phases. There's a down phase. Okay, we want to be controlled on the way down. Explode up. So the timing's different. Going a little bit slower and controlled. Exploding up, and you have to be aware of that. Oh, I didn't realize that. So how is your timing on the way down? And then you just call in, you don't need a, you know, it could be a rhetorical question, but you get people thinking about something. So it creates intentionality in their, in their working out. So yeah, my intention is to descend slowly, explode up. I mean, there's people that have created exercises for that um, with pause squats. You do three seconds down, one second up. You could do a three second down, hold for two seconds, one second up. And they use the clock to manipulate your body and, and your training in that way. And it's just like when you have music, you write an exercise to use timing. Play for eight measures, rest for eight measures. Play for eight measures, rest for eight measures. Increase the tempo on a metronome. Okay, then increase the tempo in your workouts. I don't understand why, you know, people don't use that kind of thing, like, you know, it's like, here's another example. Um, in CrossFit, there's the double under. It's just essentially jumping a rope and the rope passes twice beneath your feet as you jump once. Um, and a lot of people, that's a high skill, they call it. But if you can jump and pat your legs twice before you land on the ground. Jump, pat, pat, land. You have the timing to do it. Jump. 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 
Pat land. Establish your baseline using tiny, repeatable, intentional exercises. You can't just flail. A swimmer doesn't just flail. They have a stroke. And at first, you want to jump in the water and swim as much as possible. The stroke is what matters, not the speed or the distance just yet. And this actually maps to the science. Researchers from Arizona State analyzed the data from 140 studies on weightlifting. They found that beginners who want to get stronger and more physically fit should start with a program of higher reps and lighter weights. Quote, Lifting weights teaches the nervous system how to fire signals to the muscles faster and more efficiently so that the right muscle fibers are optimally recruited during a lift. I love that, don't you? Your actions, like, recruit the right muscle fibers, like your brain is calling upon something physical about you to deliver for the task at hand. The quote continues, Using more repetitions allows the nervous system to get more practice as it must work to control each and every rep. End quote. So, lower strain, higher volume. Lower stakes, higher output. The goal, especially when you're early or learning a new skill, is to put in the reps, to complete this rep to get to the next one. Then you start to weave in this idea of proactive and intentional improvement to see results. As Kevin was saying, establish your baseline using tiny, repeatable, intentional exercises. Jump, pat, pat, land. How fast or slow can we currently play a lick? How much weight can we put on the bar right now? And what is our current form when we do that exercise? How often do we outline or ship our writing? And what is our work like right now? We can imagine something greater, but to get there, we should probably try to understand where we're at right now. Kevin Mazzarella tied this back to his jazz trumpet performances. The classic example is I show up to a gig and I say, Kev, you have great high chops, you have great endurance, how do you do it? And at that, if I, I don't really like answering that question there because I just know, like, if you haven't done the body of work up to this point, it's, you just, you have to start at home when no one's listening. Uh, and it starts with the fundamentals, like what works for you. And I say this on repeat to my students, like, well, Mr. Maz, how do you do X, Y, and Z? Well, let's find out what works for you. One way we might close the gap between our taste and our skills is to become more intentional about improving our skills. And that starts with getting a better understanding of where we're at right now. As Kevin does with both his students and his athletes, do an assessment. Establish the baseline first. What are you capable of already? And what is your work like right now? I think we skipped that question. And we can use these little exercises to help. If you're a musician, keep time with a metronome. What's your current mastery of the rhythm? Play the lick as slowly as you need to to play it correctly, then speed up. Lift the bar in the gym with minimal weight. What's your form? Write an article every day this week, just something short, a few paragraphs published on the side in just a few minutes, and then you hit publish to some side blog somewhere. Can you get to consistent publishing before you get to amazing writing? Draw something, anything at all that feels right once a week for the next month. What do you notice about your personal style right now? Maybe these things are how we establish the baseline. We use those tiny, repeatable, intentional exercises. Let's talk more about that second part, about these exercises, because I'm really struck by this idea. 
I don't think we use them enough in creative work. I think we kind of just feel our way through without the intention. You know, I don't know about you, but every time I create anything, my only intention is not to focus on tiny repeatable exercises. I'm focused on some distant point in the future. My intention is to try and get there in one leap forward. I'm being pulled there by this like deep sense of longing to make something awesome, this fire in my chest. So I want to leap across this gap right now. And maybe that's a mistake. What if instead we used little creative exercises? Some of these exercises probably feel obvious. They're designed for us as these discrete, repeatable things separate from the usual flow of our work. The creative equivalent of jumping up and tapping your knees twice rather than simply trying to do double unders on the jump rope. In our work, for example, maybe that's a 30-day writing challenge or a doodle a day. These are explicit exercises, explicit earmarked things to get us going, to get us established. This is the baseline and now we can improve. And it helps us become more intentional. And I think these are helpful, especially at first. With anything you do, you make huge progress right away. And then you get you have to fine tune as you go. And that's when you really start to see the sculpture that was underneath the rock the whole time. The sculpture already underneath hidden in the rock the whole time. This is the constructivism idea of teaching and improvement. So constructivism is the notion that a student or an athlete, since we're also talking about athletes, has the potential within them already. It's inherent. And it's our job as teachers, as coaches, to help them bring that to life. The mistake that a lot of students make is, let me go to this coach, let me go to this teacher, and give me the knowledge. Tell me how you did it. I'm going to do it your way. And not really even caring (laughs) about their philosophy and whether or not you have, um, you know, if you work well together. But that's really important, is to find that mentorship, that that person that really invests in you. Um, and And I found that to be hugely important in my development as as someone who's kind of gone left, gone right, up, down, you know, in my journey. Um, and, still, and still on that journey, quite frankly, to, to gain more insights into who I am. And I think that's, that's when you really start to find the real stuff. And so maybe, just maybe, rather than seek out some external exercises or tricks earmarked for us to find our baseline we can do an assessment of our own creative routines and processes right now and hidden somewhere in that stuff are the exercises we need and they're already tailored to who we are. Remember, we want those tiny, repeatable, intentional exercises. It's just that right now, the things hidden in our own process are not intentional enough. They are tiny, we do repeat them, but largely they go unnoticed or it's based on gut feel alone. So we don't repeat them proactively with intention, with the desire to get better, as a way of supplementing all the rest of our unfocused exploratory play. This is the missing piece in getting to the next rep so often. Reflection. An assessment of your own process. A reflection back on what you just shipped. 
the jumping and tapping your knees is only useful to your desire to do double unders if you stop and reflect on how you did that jump and double tap. And then you go and apply it to the next rep and the next and the next and the next. The 30-day writing challenge is only useful in that you learn about yourself and your style and then put to work the habits that you formed during the challenge long after it's over. Hidden, waiting to be used more intentionally all across our own processes are these tiny, repeatable exercises. And we can use those to get better and better. Those can be these reps that we repeat. So... Let's go back to visual artist Matthew Zaremba, because hidden in his approach is one such thing. He calls it the snapshot. I kind of always looked at the world as, I don't know, almost like uh, still frames from a movie. You know what I mean? Like, and I was talking about this recently with somebody where like, I, I can kind of observe life not always just through my own eyes. Like I'm, I'm kind of seeing it from like another angle as well. And when I watch things play out, it's kind of like my mind is taking little snapshots in just like memories. You know, it's like the, like the first time you, had, you, you know, you kissed your wife, for example, like you'll always remember that moment. That's just a snapshot, right? Um, the, first, the first moment, you know, you made your kid laugh or something. It's just like a, a little moment. And I always think like in a, in a bigger way, like, you know, people talk about when they're dying or something, they saw their life flash before their eyes. Like if, if that's real or... You know, I, I kind of believe like that that could definitely happen. That's what you're going to see is you're going to see these snippets, right? So like these snippets that I have every single day of my life, I just try to write them down and then I revisit them based on, you know, how relevant it is again to me. So like a lot of the pieces I make are actually in retrospect and not happening in real time, except for like some of the ones that are more based around societal things um, or like what's happening in current events. But I think that because it's also real, so and it's, it's happening in my life that I never have to look for inspiration. You know what I mean? Like it's always yeah, just there. And uh, I kind of just treat it as like a journal. The way Matthew approaches his work, his reps, if you will, is to capture a snapshot. He's noticed that about his own process. Buried in his regular flow after lots of these illustrations was this tiny repeatable exercise, which now that he knows that become intentional. And now he can build and tweak and innovate and improve from that established baseline. The reps don't let Matthew create the same exact thing, the same exact way, so much as they help Matthew move through the world and bump up against unexpected ideas and thoughts and emotions and make sense of it all. In other words, the reps help Matthew adapt. One of my biggest challenges, and I was talking to a friend about this recently, is when you go that deep on yourself all the time, and I say this to my wife too. I say, you know, I have emotional intelligence, but I have, you know, behavioral stupidity. Like I, I just act out and, you know, like I, I'm totally like a, I'm a flawed person. Right. And, uh, I could be, you know, a total guy sometimes and just not the most mature of my actions. And, uh, <laughs> but like, I obviously have the emotional intelligence. Like I, I, I think out of a lot of people I know, I have a heightened sense of, self and, um, processing emotions and, and thoughts. And, um, so it's, it's hard. Like when you go that deep on yourself all the time, it's kind of like going to therapy every single day for like hours, you know what I mean? And that's, yeah. that's super draining. So, uh, so that's like one of my biggest challenges is like some days I just want to be really light. Like I have a, I have, I have a fragment like or a snapshot on my list right now. That's, uh, th the idea 
of it. I haven't made it yet, but maybe like later today, but the idea is, um, a star like looking or like a star next to a moon. And it says, um, something like you, you say that I'm brilliant, but I do anything to be as light as you. And it's, it's basically just a play on the fact that obviously like the moon would be brighter than the star, but it's really saying like, I would basically do anything to not, <laughs> to not think this deeply. You know what I mean? And that's like a, a weird, like kind of albatross. It's kind of like the thing that certainly benefits your life. Like you've become, you know, like some artist with, with recognition is also the side of you. That's like the hardest on you. You know what yes. I mean? Reps make us resilient. Resiliency doesn't mean you resist things, but that you evolve, you improve, you adapt. And I think that's what reps are actually for. I want to bring it back down to the, even just a single snippet where you're yeah. kind of taking that snapshot. And it's, it's documented journal style. You said you come back to them. Um, what, what is the space in between documenting and creating art around it do for the final piece? Because I think a lot of folks they're observing and writing, you know, like I did this yeah. this morning. I have a weekly newsletter. I showed up this morning and I, I felt empty just as a person. We're house, we're house hunting, which is super demoralizing, especially right now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you look backwards the last 12 plus months of what we've been through. I haven't seen my family in way too long. My, my daughter hasn't seen her grandparents in way too long. And, you know, so you have this low level, but persistent feeling. And then, yeah, whatever else is new, like for me, it's the house hunting. So I showed up and I felt completely empty. So I was forced to say, what is it in the moment right now that I want to comment on? I'm turning an observation into art in real time. And you're, you seem to be someone who puts that space in between it. Um, how does that change the work for you? So one of my biggest problems as a person is my reaction to things. And my wife would tell you this right off the bat. Like I... I'm very expressive and I can be emotional and, you know, I, I just react. Um, and I always think things through. And so what I found over the years is that the pieces, I, I just call them like the pieces, the illustrations, they're a way for me to process things in a more intentional way and perhaps gain a little bit of understanding from them. So it's kind of like noise in your head, you get it out analyze it. I always say it's kind of like looking at a specimen in a bell jar. It's like, I'm just looking at this, this thought, this feeling, right. And then I'm saying like, what is this thing? Like, what, it, what, what, why does this make me feel so like anxious? Why does this make me feel so happy or sad or whatever? And then I try to just break that down into something that is digestible first and foremost for myself. And then in the process of doing all of this, I'm creating something that I put out there in the world and then, you know, seemingly resonates with other people. Reps are about the resiliency to create, the process of actually putting things out, not the innovation or the improvements just yet. People think that, well, if I create something, it must improve what's out there now, which is not the case. You just, you're going through that creating process. And that's what we really talk about in music a lot is that creating process. Okay, you've brought into existence something you've never done before. Is it the best musical thing that's ever been done? Well, no, but it certainly should be something that's of value to you, is that you're building that muscle from, from scratch, and that's the most exciting time. And I tell my young improvisers in particular, you're way too young to even care if it's good, bad, better, worse. And I say, actually, I don't know when, you're, when the right age is to even care. 
and and some part of my practice as in my field of education and, and coaching, I try my goal, one of my, my often my goal is to refuse to use the words good, bad, better, worse in my lexicon. Because we as coaches and educators, we weave ourselves into the fabric of our students and athletes' lives. We're, it's very important work. It's our duty to be in that experience for their life. You know, I, I hang on to so many things that my teachers have said, and there's, and you're not just some some person you're having a side conversation with. You're in a position to to be of influence. So again, that creating process, as the great jazz trumpet player Clark Terry says, begins with imitation. You imitate someone you like. You assimilate some ideas that they do. See what works. See what doesn't work. Get rid of the stuff that doesn't work. Rehearse the stuff that was successful for you. And then and then I think from there you can innovate because you have some experience in, um, you know, you've tested some things out. There's a 2017 research paper. It's called Creative Motor Actions as Emerging from Movement Variability. You know, just your basic bathroom reading, really. What I found so fascinating about this report is that the research suggests that this notion of muscle memory you might hear about with athletes, of repeating something physical in weight training or in a sport, it's actually not about repeating that exact thing that exact way over and over again to improve your work. The authors say that creative movement is not just the interaction between different body parts, but an interaction with the environment as well. In other words, eventually you move out of theory and into reality. You move away from practice and into the game. You stop logging snapshots and start illustrating them. In almost everything that we do, physically or intellectually, the environment is ever-changing. So putting in the reps isn't about simply doing it the previous way again and again and again forever. Instead. These reps are like building blocks that allow us to adapt and improve over time. Like if you're someone who's just coming in off the street into the gym, you need to find something that you like. Like if you like doing CrossFit, then come three days a week, come once a week. When you enter the gym for the first time and I have you in class for the very first time, I ask, do you have any injuries? Yes or no? The second statement I say is, my advice to you is you should feel like you could have done more. You should feel like you could have done more by the end of class. I don't want you lying on the ground. And they're like, what? And I say, yes, believe me. And why do I say that? Because I want the first rep to be success. And then I want you wanting more. That gets you to the next rep. For our purposes as creators, a rep is a building block. It's the lead up to the action, the execution of the action, and then your rest and reflection after it, so that you can do the next rep better. You adapt, you evolve, you change, you improve as you and your environment change as well. Your building block, your rep, is probably different than mine. Whatever you consider a rep right now and whatever I consider a rep, it doesn't matter in a vacuum. 
I only know my reality, right? And I only know that this color blue is this color blue through my own perspective. And I often wonder what other people's perspectives are. And so like, I only know my reality and I, and what I know about my reality is that it's, it's very fluid. Like it's very shifting, like hour to hour, like pretty extreme, but also like, I think that's kind of part of the dynamic of life. One minute, my wife and I are kind of trying to wrangle the kids and, you know, feed them lunch and, you know, do some errands, drop them off at the in-laws. And then like an hour later, her and I were just taking a nice walk, like out to a marsh, you know, and just having like alone time again. And that, in that moment, because it's so rare to have alone time, especially during this pandemic where every, you know, kind of stuck at home, that alone brought me back to that well of the, the, maybe like the feelings of love that you just kind of get burnt on or like, yeah you get used to with your wife, especially, or any type of long-term partner, I think for anybody, you just kind of get used to each other. And so like when you have those moments, it's just like click snapshot. Um, and then that snapshot references, you know, 2008 in Brooklyn when you were, you know, getting drunk, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like at a bar and, and like that spark was really developing. And you would have never known that years later, you would have two kids and blah, blah, blah. So it's kind of, everything is kind of a snapshot that's also yeah i guess like it's all like a visual mind map and there's different pages to the mind map or tabs right but it's all kind of they're all kind of sprouting off of each other and and where they all lead back to is this person's personal journey which when i synthesize that and put it out there in the world lots of other people can seemingly relate to as well because these are universal themes of you know love and uh, communication and, and you know psyche etc consider the power of putting in the reps regardless of what you imagine creating what can you actually create right now figure that out and do so through small lightweight actions a building block is what we need most not the house as those legendary creators point out a simple idea that you hold on to a simple motion or exercise it all adds up it's a marathon it's not a sprint you know, the people who were the most respect or I respect the most, like they steadily put in work for years and years and years. And they weren't the flashiest. They weren't the making the biggest boom at the moment. But when you look back, you can see them everywhere. Right. And I just look at everything as just keep producing. It doesn't even matter if people ever see it because you learn something from it in the process. So like, I, like I've got all these, these paintings, like these abs, more abstracted paintings that are kind of based on the, the form and, and motion and energy of graffiti, whether they look like that or not. But like, they don't really see the light of day uh, by choice. I've kind of been leaking them out a little bit, but um, I learn a lot in that process by doing the quote unquote rep, you know what I mean? Like I, I, I do another one, I learned something else about how I want to hold the brush or how I want to mix the paint. So it's a, it's a journey in terms of these illustrations. It's like every single one gets me closer or perhaps further away from what I thought I was. Um, but in that process, I'm learning more than maybe other people are about themselves or are facing about themselves. And it's kind of like that ADD example. It's like if I ran from it before, surely by doing these reps now, I'm um, I'm now embracing it, you know what I mean? And that's a huge growth step. What do your reps look like? I can't sit here and tell you. But I think we know now how to find them, each in our own work. I think we also know what they're good for as building blocks. They help you establish your baseline using tiny, repeatable, intentional exercises. 
Your baseline and the exercises are dependent on the biggest variable in your creative process, you. Both your baseline and the reps you use to establish it are unique to you. And they're both going to change over time as you build your body of work bit by bit, block by block, with each lick, song, doodle, post, or snapshot. Thank you so much for listening. This episode was written, edited, and hosted by me, Jay Akunzo. If you had any thoughts or questions, email me, jay at unthinkablemedia.com or tweet me at Jay Akunzo. This episode can only exist and remain free to the world thanks in large part to the supporters of this show. I'm an independent creator who relies on the support of listeners like you. And there are two things that you can do to keep this show going and growing right now. First, you can become a monthly supporter. For just $13 a month, you'll get bonus content and free access to things like my live classes on storytelling, podcasting, and creativity, and discounts to other projects I create. Or you can become a full member of the Make What Matters group and access the community forum and other community-specific projects. Sign up now, and I'll email you in two weeks to schedule a one-on-one advisory call to welcome you into the group. To learn more about either way of supporting this show, visit makewhatmattersgroup.com and click the black button at the top. If you're not ready for that next step, that's okay. Learn more about my books and my free weekly newsletter at jayakunzo.com. Links to all of this are in your show notes. I'm back in a week with a brand new episode of the show. Until then, keep making what matters. Bye-bye. Jump. 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 Jump.